so good to be together. And um, yeah, I've had two weeks off, so I've been kind of away from church family, uh, having some holiday down south. And um, as Dorothy said, there's no place like home. It's nice to come back. It's great to be kind of with church family again and just sense the presence of God with us across our different meetings, different sites, uh, just tremendous sense of God among us today. So hope you're doing well. And for those that don't know me, my name's Phil. I'm part of the leadership team here. And, um, and, and despite Andy's uh, very encouraging introduction, uh, this week I felt about as prophetic as a brick wall. Um, anyone else ever feel like you're about as prophetic as a brick wall? About only PJ and me, which is concerning probably. But, um, <laughs> you know, so sometimes when you come to preach, you feel like you're kind of floating on a cloud. And you're like, I know what the, the will of the Lord is. I know what he's saying. And you're just like, this is, is going to be great. And then other times you literally feel like you're wading through treacle. Maybe concrete actually was, was, was more like it this week. So um, anyway, so uh, Friday came. I was like, I had a whole day on Friday to prep. Got to the end of Friday. Carol's like, how did it go? Terribly. I've got nothing. I've got nothing. Literally no thing. Not one thing for the fruit of my labors. So anyway, um, I gradually felt the Lord begin to speak to me. And then uh, last night I went to bed and I was like, God, I'm still not sure. I just needed to speak to me in a dream. Like I need some encouragement. And uh, so I woke up and the only thing I could remember from my dream was the guitar solo from November Rain by Guns N' Roses. <laughs> which didn't help me at all. <laughs> in fact, in my quiet time this morning, the first song I listened to as I was praying was November Rain by Guns N' Roses, which, by the way, is a phenomenal song. <laughs> so go home and stick that on your playlist. The guitar solo particularly, awesome, out of this world. But it didn't particularly help me. But um, uh, what I did feel the Lord kind of nudged me towards was just a story in the Old Testament about Isaac redigging his father's wells. And you might be familiar with that story. Um, Isaac um, basically goes back to a place where Abraham, his father, had dug this well. And he finds that the well has been blocked up. And so he starts to kind of dig out the well again to find the source of water. And then the local kind of herdsmen in the area are like, hey, Isaac, clear off. This is our land now. And they enter into a dispute for this particular well. And Isaac has to move on to another patch of ground. And of course, this story has greater significance than just a story about finding water in the desert. This, this story actually is a spiritual principle to us, which is this. So often God will give us wells of revelation to drink from, but through familiarity or neglect, those wells can, can, can gum up, can be stopped up. Uh, and it, in fact, we also know that the enemy will contend for every good revelation that God has given you. Every, every good thing that God puts into your life, there's an enemy who quickly, Jesus likened them to birds coming to peck seed from your life. He's like, you've got an enemy who wants to come and just steal the word from your life. Just like that, like that, like that. In other words, without care and attention, our wells can easily dry up. Things that we perhaps are familiar with, that are part of our Christian history, suddenly we go to the well and it's dry. And so I began to ponder these things. And I just felt the Lord say, listen, I want you just to simply talk about the power of prophetic encouragement. I want you to talk about this particular well and make sure it's still flowing. The power of prophetic encouragement. So if this is a message you've heard before, we'll give you your money back at the door on your way out. If you could email PJ, he'll personally sort that out for you. Um, but listen, we're going to dive into this subject of encouragement. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says this, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. 
Now, let's just pause there. Isn't it interesting that Paul is encouraging this church to do something that they're already doing? (laughs) Sometimes we want to speak into things that aren't happening yet, but Paul is speaking to something that is already happening, and he's like, what you're doing, please keep doing it. Do it all the more. And I want to say, this church is probably the most encouraging church I've ever been part of. I love our church family. I think we're a super encouraging church family. But I want to say, like Paul would say to the Thessalonians, what you're already doing, please really keep doing it. <laughs> please really make sure this particular well is still drawing water for other people. And the word encouragement in the New Testament is a, it's a much more dynamic, powerful word than perhaps if you're born in Britain, you would kind of think when you come to the word encouragement. If you're British here... Encouragement looks like a firm handshake and a pat on the back. That's what we think. Now, now I appreciate that we've got many other cultures here and you can help educate us on what real encouragement looks like. So for British people, we're kind of stoic, stiff up a lip, you know, well done. And that's about as much as you get sometimes. But in the Bible, encouragement is a powerful word. And, and what it means in scripture is, is literally this. Encouragement means a personal call that someone personally gives to deliver God's verdict. Did you get that? What is encouragement? It's delivering God's perspective on somebody's life. From God's perspective, this is how he sees you. And this is how he sees your situation. From his vantage point, this is what he's seeing in your life. That's biblical encouragement. It's saying to people, you may have one perspective, but God has got a completely different perspective on what's going on. And we get to deliver that perspective to one another. Here's how God sees things from his vantage point. And I would say encouragement is literally the, the atmosphere and the language of heaven. This came home to me when I was 18 years old, and I was about to leave home for the very first time. I was 18, I couldn't boil an egg, I couldn't change a plug, I just could just about put my own socks on. I didn't know what I was doing, I was about to leave home and move overseas to America, and I was, I was scared, I was so anxious. And I remember being in Newcastle a couple of weeks before moving to the States, and uh, I, was, I was doing some work in a church there. And as I was walking to the church one morning, this lady who I'd never met before was on the other side of the road. And she waved at me and she said, Phil, are you walking to the church? I was like, yes, I am. And she's like, can I walk with you? I was like, yes, sure. This isn't strange at all. And so I crossed across the street. And so we take this 15-minute walk together to the church building. Now, I'd never met her before. And the first question she asks me is, so... What's about to happen in your life then? I said, well, actually, I'm about to move to America, and I'm really nervous about it. And then for 15 minutes, she started to pour encouragement into my life. And she's like, you need to know that you going to the States is part of God's plan. This is what he's got for you. You are going to grow. God is going to use you. You've got prophetic gifts that are going to come out of you. You're going to just experience the goodness of God in the land of the living. This is brilliant. You are on God's track for your life. You don't need to fear. His provision is for you. You're always going to have everything. I mean, it was like this for 15 minutes. And so by the time that we got near to the church building, I was like 10 feet tall. I was thinking, this is, I, am, I want to go now. I want to catch the flight now. I'm ready to go. And then we, we got to the edge of what was called the Biker Wall in Newcastle. I don't know if you know Newcastle geography at all, but our, our church met inside this kind of wall. We got to the, the edge of the wall, and she said, well, listen, Phil, I'm going to have to go now, but have a fantastic time. So she went one way, and I carried on to the church meeting. Well, then I began to f- try and find out who this lady was, because I was there for, for a few more days. Nobody had ever heard of her. Nobody had ever seen her. 
I never saw her face again. Nobody could trace who she was. And my, my only reasoning about that moment is that she was an angel sent by God to encourage me, to deliver God's perspective on my current circumstances. Because encouragement is the language of heaven. Literally, we, we, it, the English word encourage comes from the French word encourage. Now, any, that's terrible French. I'm really sorry for the encourage. Is that better? I don't know. Anyway, it literally means to put courage into someone. Encourage. And when we deliver God's perspective, it causes us to rise up with courage and strength and boldness. And suddenly we feel like we can do what two seconds before we didn't think we could because we suddenly seen God's perspective on our lives. That's encouragement from a biblical perspective. And it's why when the Apostle Paul in the New Testament begins to talk about the prophetic and he tries to sum up what the prophetic is, the DNA, the core operating system of the prophetic in the New Testament. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 14.3. He says, the one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them and comforts them. In other words, when you prophesy, it builds up, it lifts up, it cheers up. That's the operating system of the prophetic and the new covenant. That's how we do things here. If you want to come and be part of a prophetic community, we want to lift up, cheer up and build up. We've got about one amen there, but we'll, we'll work on that another time. Don't worry. <laughs> the prophetic brings encouragement. It puts strength in people. Recently, Carol, my wife, had a dream. And in this dream, she dreamt about some friends of ours who live in another city. And uh, in this dream, they were evidently in trouble. And she could see one of our friends being accused by other people in a room. But I was standing behind my friend with my arm on his shoulder. And I was like, I'm with you. I'm with you. And we didn't know what was going on in their lives, so we just got in touch with them, and we, we arranged to go down and have breakfast with them. And we sat in this restaurant having breakfast, and Carol starts to share this dream. And we just start to say, say to friends, does that make any sense to you? And if it does, you just need to know we are with you, and we have got your back. And they are just starting to weep in this restaurant as you could feel the presence of God come in that restaurant. And suddenly the kingdom of heaven shows up, because that is the atmosphere of heaven. When you deliver God's perspective, it puts courage in people. And so one of the people that perhaps epitomizes encouragement in the New Testament is this amazing man called Barnabas. Just wave at me if you've ever heard of Barnabas in the New Testament. Okay, Barnabas literally gets the nickname son of encouragement. So it's a great place to start if you want to do a 101 on what encouragement looks like in the New Testament. You start with Barnabas because he personifies what this actually looks like. And um, Barnabas was one of the key men involved in particularly getting the Apostle Paul going. We know the Apostle Paul, for those that perhaps not familiar with Scripture, he was a man that was amazingly used by God to start new churches. Many, many people came to Christ through the Apostle Paul's ministry. Much of our New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. But it was Barnabas who I think was largely responsible for Paul doing all that he went on to do because he was the son of encouragement. And so let's just take a look at what happens in Barnabas' life and how we can encourage. So the first thing is this. Barnabas became the encouragement. So the first time we encounter Barnabas is Acts 4. Now, it's confusing sometimes in the New Testament because often people have two names, but it's talking about the same person. I wish it wasn't like that, but it is. So here we go. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. 
So most commentators will say what's going on here is that Barnabas was involved in agriculture as a business. He was a farmer. He had a farm and he literally sold the farm and put it at the apostles' feet and said, plant some churches with that. Care for the poor with that. And consequently, he got given the nickname Son of Encouragement. And I think you can see why. Because Barnabas wasn't just a man who encouraged with his lips, he encouraged with his whole lifestyle. His whole lifestyle was one of encouragement and generosity and kindness. He wasn't that enabled other people to do what they'd been called to by God. And so he's given this amazing nickname, Son of Encouragement. His most important messages came through his life, not just through his lips. And this is amazingly powerful when we live a lifestyle like that, where we're just being kind we're just expressing who God is through our actions. And it can be simple things. Like just for example, at the moment, we've got a young girl living with us. She's not a Christian. And when she moved in, we found out she liked coffee. So we bought her a coffee machine. And she cried when we gave it to her. And, she, she, and subsequently, we've had these opportunities to share with her Jesus, to share our faith, to pray with her. And, and suddenly, just a moment, just a glimpse, just a window of kindness, of encouragement, the atmosphere of heaven starting to break in, suddenly opens up a heart to Jesus. That's powerful, isn't it? Just your simple kindness. Like just giving some flowers to somebody. Like we had an amazing story in our first service, Jill Crenau. She's a doctor up in Peterborough, and she was just sharing an amazing story. I can't tell you the whole story. It ends in an amazing moment of healing and kingdom breakthrough. But the way it started was she was, I think, in Tesco's doing her shopping, and she said, you need to buy, buy a bouquet of flowers, and I will tell you who to give it to. So she's at the checkout with a bouquet of flowers, and she feels God say, give it to the lady behind you. So she just turns around and says, Listen, this may feel a bit odd, but I'm a Christian. I felt God tell me to buy some flowers and to give it to someone. I'd love to give these to you. And it turns out this particular lady was in a period of mourning, and suddenly the kingdom starts to break in. How does it happen? The atmosphere of heaven through encouragement just starts to break in. It doesn't take much. But when you start to become the encouragement, God's kingdom is close behind. It's important to realize that some of the most important things that come to you will come through your lifestyle through your decisions to express the heart of God you know I remember for, for us in this last season Carol my wife has been very sick and uh, not been able to work and so we were applying for PIP payments personal independence payments from the government to help supplement our income and uh, we got turned down on on our first application turned down on the second and then turned down at tribunal and that's it three strikes and you're out and so I remember the day I got the letter saying, we're not going to give you any help. I had just a personal pity party. Anyone had one of those? It's a party just for one. Only one person's invited. And uh, you have a good old time in your own head. Um, well, I started to have one of those, you know, for me, myself and I. Little pity party, letting off streamers and all the rest of it. And, um, and I just felt the Father start to speak to me that evening. And he's like, Phil, you need to understand my, your provision comes from me, not from the government. Your trust is in your father, not in any man or human being or institution. It comes from me. You need to trust me. And so I, I just had this moment of repentance. Where I thought, oh God, I'm sorry. I'm not going to give in to self-pity. And then the very next morning, um, a friend emails me. They live in a completely different place, knew nothing about this. And they said, me and my wife were praying last night, and we just felt we wanted to support you every month um, to this amount. It was the exact amount that we would have got from PIP payments. And he's like, you can have it for as long as you want. I mean, it's just, just, just amazing. 
Now, how many of you, those kind of moments encourage you? <laughs> they suddenly make you think, God's with me. I'm not on my own. You know, I'm hearing him and I'm on his plan for my life. And it just came through someone obeying Jesus and tuning in and saying, how can I express the love of the Father to someone today? It can come through a bouquet of flowers. It can come through a little card. It can come through a knock on the door. It can come through a phone call. It can come through cooking a cherry bakewell for someone. It could come through all sorts of different things. But be the encouragement. Secondly, we see this in Barnabas. We know the story of the Apostle Paul. He gets converted on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9. It's an amazing transformation in Paul's life. So previously to Acts chapter 9, Paul is an unhinged terrorist. Okay, put it in today's terms. He's an unhinged terrorist persecuting the church, killing Christians and throwing them in prison. And so most of the church is petrified of this guy Saul because he is unhinged and on the loose. And he's got a letter and papers saying, just carry on, do what you want. Acts chapter nine comes, gets converted, gives his life to Jesus. His heart gets changed, but still nobody trusts him. (laughs) Still nobody's quite sure, is this guy the real deal or not? And this is where Barnabas enters the story in Paul's life. Here's what we read. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and now in, how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Out of everyone who was nervous or anxious or questionable about Paul, Barnabas is the guy who's like, this guy's the real deal. He's the real deal. And he gets him in front of all the, the apostles and he starts to boast about him in front of everyone else. He's like, I love this guy. The spirit of God's on this guy. When he preaches, man, you should listen to him preaching. What a great preacher. He is fearless. And, and you can trust this guy. I vouch for him. And he starts to boast about Paul's strengths in front of everybody else. This is so powerful. And this is one of the ways that we can encourage one another into our destiny is that we boast about each other's strengths in the presence of other people. Now, it's great to get a personal encouragement. Someone comes alongside you and puts an arm around your shoulder and says, I love you and I'm for you. And you call out greatness. But it's another thing to publicly call someone out and say, this is who you are in God and I love you and we love you and we're for you and we believe in you. And then everyone else together is like, yeah, we all are with you. I remember once being in, in Canada, visiting a very small town called Listowel in Ontario, and it was led by a friend of mine called Fred, and he'd been leading this church for 25 plus years. And uh, in the very first meeting, I felt God say, you need to stand Fred up and you need to encourage him and thank him for his service in front of everyone else. And so we started the meeting. I said, Fred, listen, would you mind standing? And I just started to thank him. I just, in front of everyone, I just said, Fred, thank you for serving Thank you for loving people in this community. Thank you for all the sacrifices you've paid to pastor this church. Thank you for the people you've visited and the prayers you've prayed in secret. Thank you for the pain you've walked through. Thank you for the way you've loved sacrificially. Thank you for loving this church. We love you and we're, we're so thankful for you and we want to celebrate who you are. And he is starting to weep on in his chair. I can just see it. Tears rolling down his cheeks. And, and pretty soon I finish the encouragement and then the whole room stands up and just starts to applaud him. And I couldn't stop them. 
And then they all start spontaneously to get out of their chairs and gather around Fred and hug him and thank him and pray for him. And they're crying and he's crying and now I'm crying. There's a lot of tears. There's a lot of snot going on. And, and after, it was just an amazing moment. You could just feel the atmosphere of heaven in the room. I mean, after that, it was easy to prophesy. So easy to prophesy. And afterwards, he said, Phil, in 25 years of pastoral ministry, no one has ever done that. No one's ever thanked me in that way. He's like, you, you won't know how much that means. How many times I've thought about giving up. He's like, I, I encountered God today. Isn't that powerful? When you boast about other people's strengths in front of others, it calls out the gold. Because we're not called to do our race on our own. We're called to do it with brothers and sisters who believe in who we are in God. And that's what Barnabas does. You know, what I love about Barnabas as well is that he wasn't intimidated by strong people. He was secure enough on the inside so that he could raise other spiritual giants. <laughs> so it's interesting, when you read the account in Acts, when Barnabas and Paul are partnering together in the early part of their story, Barnabas' name always comes first, Paul's name always comes second. And then there's this moment, this mysterious moment where Luke switches the names and suddenly it's Paul's name first and Barnabas' name second. And I think Barnabas would have been absolutely loving it. He would have been loving the fact that Saul's name suddenly was before his because he would have thought, I'm partly responsible for that. I have called this guy into greatness. I have encouraged him so much that he is now running in his destiny and I am the first one to say, well done, Paul. Come on, be all that you can be in God. He's not intimidated by big people. And here's the question for us. Are you raising up spiritual giants or spiritual minnows? Yeah, because here's, here's what will disable your ability to raise up spiritual giants. Your own insecurity, your own competition, your own jealousy, your own inability to promote people above yourselves. In all, see, we always tend to reduce people down to the level of dysfunction in our own hearts. In other words, we don't want people to run past us because that generally will make us feel insecure. It's, it's, it's very easy to say, I want my sons and daughters to run past me until they start running past you. <laughs> eh? Now, naturally for parents, if there's parents in the room, you, you will know there's nothing that you want more than your kids just to succeed in God, just to, just to fly. That, that, is, that, is, that is your reason to exist as a parent, is for them to outdo you. But it should be the same in the rest of life. Why aren't we like that in the rest of life? The person you're sitting next to, why isn't your ambition for them greater than your ambition for yourself? If you want to raise spiritual giants, we've got to be like Barnabas and deal with our own small-mindedness because we'll never raise superheroes and giants if we're worrying about where's my place in the world. But Barnabas, I think, was celebrating. Saul, I love it that your name's now first. That's brilliant. And isn't that so anti to the spirit of the age, which is all about self? How can I promote myself? How can I get a platform for myself? Well, Barnabas does the opposite. It's, I want to create a platform for other people. And if they succeed, then I've succeeded. And that's the spirit of encouragement in Barnabas. I love that. Next, what we see is uh, this encounter in Acts 11. We read this, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Now, the backdrop to these just few verses is that 
After the Jerusalem introductions in Acts chapter 9, Barnabas heads up to Antioch because he hears this amazing move of the Spirit happening in a church up in Antioch. Meanwhile, Paul goes the opposite direction and heads off to Tarsus and Damascus and he starts making tents for a living for 10 plus years. And we've no idea what he does in those 10 years. Just lives in relative obscurity. Don't know anything about his ministry. He gives us a little clue where he says in those years he was getting divine revelation of the mystery of the gospel, which is pretty cool. (laughs) But we don't know much else about what he was doing. And so meanwhile, Barnabas is up, up in Antioch. And as he's seeing what the Lord is doing in Antioch, he, above anybody else, has this brainwave. He thinks, I know exactly what we need. We need my buddy, Paul. I'm going to go and find him. And so he goes on a 120-mile journey through bandit territory. I don't know if he was walking or if he had a camel or if he was on a donkey. But I tell you what, it would have been hot and it would have been hard work. But he so believed in what Paul carries that he was willing to do that and take him all the way up to Antioch, where together they began to teach and preach the gospel. See, there's something that Barnabas had in his makeup that he was able to see people by the spirit, not just by the flesh. The lowest level of encouragement is to say well done to someone who's performed well. The lowest level of encouragement. You should encourage people who perform well. And if you're on the West, we're taught to encourage people who perform well. But it's the lowest level of encouragement. Barnabas shows us a better way. He sees something in Paul before anybody else did and he prophesies it into being. He is seized by the spirit, not just by the flesh. He is, he is relating to Paul according to his prophetic identity, not just his earthly performance. Here's the question. Are you relating to the person you're sitting next to by what you see in their spiritual identity, not just their earthly performance? Do you know who they are in God? Do you know the favor they carry in God? Do you know what God has called them to? Do you know what sits in them as undiscovered treasure that is yet to come out? Do you know that? Because if we're going to be prophetic encouragers, we've got to see not just with the naked eye, but with our spiritual eye. (laughs) Amen? We've got to see in the heavenlies and see people as God sees them. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 actually says this about Jesus. It says, from now on, we we regard no one according to the flesh, even though once we regarded Jesus in that way. Do you know, so many people missed who Jesus was because they looked at him with the naked eye. He's just a carpenter's son from Nazareth and they missed who he really was. Other people saw with the eye of the spirit and they saw, he is my Messiah. He's my savior. He's my Lord. They, they could see what others couldn't. Other people were like, he's just a carpenter from Nazareth. Didn't he make tables with us? We, we saw him growing up. We know his, his family. And yet other people would say, you're Messiah, you're savior. We're called to see it in the spirit, not just the flesh. There's a lady called, uh, I heard this quote this week from a lady called Karen. She said, I love to listen to other people's prophecies so that I can treat them not as they are, but how God sees them so I can invite them into their purpose. Don't you love that? We have a role together to call people into their purpose even before they even realize it themselves. Uh, have you ever heard a prophetic word that just didn't seem right at the time? You know, you read about them in scripture. You know, God can come to a Gideon who is hiding in fear and says, rise up, you valiant warrior. You're going to lead my nation. And he's thinking, what? You've got the wrong guy. You know, God can come to a Moses who is a stutterer. He cannot put two sentences together. And God says, you are going to be my mouthpiece. 
And he's like, what? You've got the wrong guy. You know, he can, he can come to like Simon Peter and his team, Jesus. And, you know, Simon Peter was like, he had foot and mouth disease. He was like always putting his foot in it, making mistakes, talking before he was thinking, like just an, a lunatic. Like he didn't know what he was going to do from one day to the next. And Jesus comes to him in front of the rest of his team and says, you have a new name. Your name is going to be Rocky. Solid foundation, immovable. And on you, I'm going to build my whole church. I think the rest of the team were thinking, Jesus, that's a bad word. That's a bad, you got it wrong. All your other words are mostly right, but this one, this guy's like jelly, he's not like a rock. Like, you got this wrong. But Jesus is like, no, 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 I'm, I'm acting towards Simon Peter according to his spiritual identity, not his earthly performance. Because you understand that the prophetic is not just foretelling, it's also forthtelling. The prophetic is not just predicting the future, it's actually enabling a better future to come about. Did you get that? It's not just predicting, it's enabling a better future to come about. That's why the words we say have power. The power of life and death is in the tongue. In other words, the words you say are powerful because they create realities. You understand that you are made in God's image, right? And God creates. When he speaks, he creates. He says everything that we see has been made by his word and it's sustained by his word. And you have been made in his image, which means that your words also have power. He creates galaxies with his words, but you are also creating stuff with your words. You are designed to be like your father in heaven. So that the words you speak have creative power to enable things to come about that two seconds before didn't. Part of encouragement is seeing people in the spirit. You know, I remember a bit, I was in Manchester once doing a conference. And I remember midway through speaking, I saw a guy about to leave the room. And I, I knew I had a word from him. I was like, young man, you're just about to leave the room. But I feel like just God wants to encourage you. And I said, I can just see creativity all over you. I can see you playing the bass guitar. I said, I can see you cutting record deals. I can see you as a session musician. I can just see God releasing creativity on you. And there's this coming now, there's grace coming for you right now. And he, he did like a thumbs up and then he left. And I, so I had no idea what was going on really until seven or eight years later, he found me in another meeting in Bishop Stortford and he said, I don't know if you remember me, you prophesied over me in Manchester. I said, oh, you were, were you the guy at the back? And he's like, yeah. He said, when you prophesied, everything you said didn't make sense to me because I didn't play a musical instrument. He's like, but from that point, I started to learn the bass guitar. He said, I've just been on tour with Oli Mers. I'm now a session musician. I've got my second record deal coming up. And he said, the moment that you released the words, grace came to me. And suddenly I knew I could be something I wasn't before. See, when Jesus speaks, he's calling out who we are. He's calling out the gold on the inside. He's saying, you can be more than you currently see. <laughs> and sometimes to us, we think, I think you, you know, Gideon, you got the wrong guy. And you might be like that when someone encourages you and says, this is what I see in you. But listen, we regard each other according to the spirit, not the flesh. And that's what Barnabas did. And because of that, he got Paul in the game in a way that perhaps he never would have done before. You know, when you're just chatting to someone in this church or even in your office this week or in your workplace, just say, Father, how do you see this person? How do you see them from your perspective? What's the calling on this person? What giftings do you have for them? How do you want to encourage them? I mean, you can do this just with your, your friends that don't yet know Christ. You can just encourage them, just say, you are, you are so courageous. I love being around you. When I'm around you, I feel like I've got more courage just to take risks and to innovate you know, there's something about you that just makes me want to do that. That's easy. All of you can do that. 
you know, to, to someone else, just say, Do you know, you're such a kind person. You are so kind. You make me, make me want to be more kind. There's such a natural generosity about you. You know, I, I, we were sitting with um, my, my, my wife's cousin's partner in a coffee shop a few months ago. And she's been through a whole bunch of stuff. And we're just having coffee and we just start speaking life over. We're just like, you're, you're amazing. Do you know how amazing you are? I mean, we didn't get beyond that before she just burst into tears. Because I tell you, people are starved of encouragement in our culture. They are starved of encouragement. You show the slightest kindness and inclination to bless people with your words. Heaven will show up very quickly behind you. It doesn't take much to start representing the heart of the Father with the words that you speak. All of us can do that. You can do that this week. Hopefully you're thinking, who could I do that with tomorrow morning? Hopefully you're thinking that way. (laughs) And then lastly, just very, very quickly, encouragement also looks like honouring our differences and in disagreement. And uh, we haven't got time to read the story, but there's this quite tragic moment in the relationship between Paul and Barnabas where they have such a sharp disagreement over a man called John Mark that they part company. Paul doesn't want to take John Mark on the next journey because John Mark let them down in Pamphylia. And he's like, I'm not taking this guy. He let me down. One strike, you're out. (laughs) Okay? The Apostle Paul's looking at him thinking, this guy's a liability. He might let us down. He might put the whole team in danger, so I'm not taking him. Now, remember, Paul is a pioneering apostle. He's thinking that way. That's his perspective on the world. Barnabas is looking at John Mark from a completely different perspective. He's looking at John Mark through the eyes of an encouraging prophet and he's thinking, let's give this guy another go. He let us down, but come on, give him another chance. He deserves another chance. He he won't let us down again. I'm for him, come on. And they have such a sharp disagreement that they part company. You see, we need one another, which means that we are going to have different perspectives on the same set of circumstances sometimes. You know, I could hold this iPad up right now and say, describe to me what an iPad is. And you'd be like, it's a black rectangle shape. It looks like a large tea coaster. Um, I don't know really what it's for. My perspective is, it's got writing on and it's illuminated. Same object, different perspective. And that's what's happening here. And one of the things that Paul and Barnabas didn't manage to negotiate was how to honor in the midst of disagreement. And I would say to you, Culturally right now, this is a massive issue because people in our culture are on a hair trigger of offense at the slightest hint of any disagreement or any difference of opinion. We are ready to be offended at anything. Anyone that has a different opinion than us, we we are ready to be offended. And culture wants you to be ready to be offended and to part company. But that is not the kingdom of God. Creative tension is very often the, 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 the space of ground where God gives his best revelation. We need one another. We need one another. And part of encouragement means learning to honour even through our differences of opinion and our different perspective on the same set of circumstances. So you may be sitting here thinking, there's some things about this church I don't like. There's some things about the person who's sitting over there that I don't, I don't really disagree, I disagree with them. You know, there's this friend that I've got on social media, I really think differently. Listen, let's have a kingdom perspective in those moments and say we are not called to divide from one another, but we are called to honour one another in a spirit of encouragement and love because that's the kingdom. 
You're going to be in heaven for eternity with people that you disagreed with on earth, but you've got the opportunity now to express honor towards them. So, dear friends, I want to start, finish where we started. Encourage one another, as in fact you are already doing. Keep building one another up in love. Let's be a church that makes sure that particular well is unblocked and running freely towards one another. And why don't you just set yourself a challenge? Encourage one person before you leave this building today. Why don't you actually put the word of God into practice and say, who can I encourage? Who can I express? Even if it's one word of encouragement, I love you. I'm praying for you. I love being in the same church as you. It could be something so simple. When you go and get your car in a minute, notice who else is getting their car next to yours and just say, so glad you're in this church. Simple things. It's the oil that causes everything to go as smoothly as it should. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.